Uh, my name is Marshall Brown. I'm senior pastor here. I'll be teaching on the passage that was just read, which is we are on holy ground uh, this morning. But before we do that and before I pray, I want to call your attention to one more thing in the bulletin. If you'd flip with me in your bulletin to page uh, 13, we've started printing our giving every third uh, Sunday. And at the bottom of page 13, you see our giving thus far. We're in a fiscal year that ends on March 31st and through April, uh, August 31st. You see our giving is on a budget of 1.55. We're almost 600000 That is uh, encouraging news. I want to say two things about that, about that giving. One, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, your giving does not earn anything with God. It does not earn you favor with this church. Uh, but it is a way that worship, that you worship. It actually helps you to worship when you give. Uh, but also, I want to say this about your giving. Your giving allows us to move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the one institution instituted by God to say Jesus' name, to carry Jesus' name into all corners of the earth. And your giving allows us to do that. Uh, you saw this morning on stage with what is happening tonight with Rooted and with Compass and our youth ministries. You saw all these children. You heard from one of our partners. Your giving allows us to move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ into all these areas, starting with our own children and then moving out into the community, into Chicago and beyond. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Your giving is allowing us to continue welcoming, growing, and serving. But let me pray before we look at Psalm 32. And let me just tell you, this is a... I've wrestled with this passage all week. This is, we're in deep waters here. Pray with me. God, in some ways I feel a little bit like uh, the wrestling match at the end of this. Overwhelmed, overmatched, unable to prevail with this story, with this text. But God, this is your word. And you have given it to us in love. And so that I pray today that you would speak both to my heart and to all those who listen. We claim the promise, God, that your word will not return to you void. Speak, Lord. We're all listening, including the teacher. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, I have wrestled with this text, and in doing so, I've listened or read several sermons by other people. I'll name their names here because if you were to read their sermons or listen to them, you might hear the echoes or even the quotes. Sinclair Ferguson, if you can find his sermon on this, I highly commend it. Ian Duguid, Ralph Davis, several others. But this fall, we're doing a deep dive into grace. It's the name on the door. We're calling the sermon series Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, the life of Jacob. The life of Jacob as an illustration of God's grace. And we're doing this series for several reasons, one of which I'm convinced that we really don't understand grace. I don't understand grace. You don't understand grace. We think grace as being nice. We think of grace as merely forgiveness. We think of grace as kindness. Uh, and we're doing this series to wrestle with grace because today we literally see that grace is a wrestling. Grace is an assault. It's an assault of you. It's an assault of me. And every week I've used the definition of Tullian of grace. I love this definition. Unconditional acceptance of undeserving persons by an unobligated God. But every week, I've, that's, I don't think that's enough. And so I've added something. It's not near as poetic or as, as sonorous as his. But I've said it's unconditional ex acceptance of undeserving persons by an unobligated God, which slowly, by the power of God, makes people more like God. God, more like himself. 
Which is to say, grace doesn't just wash us away. It does not just leave you where you are. Grace comes into your life to change you. Which is to say, grace is free, but it's not cheap. An idea that I hope you'll understand better by the end of today's sermon. Because today what we see is that grace literally body slams Jacob, assaults him, empties him, and humbles him. I couldn't think of an image that tied it all together, but the best I can come up in this passage, Jacob is like a pitcher that is being poured out, being poured out of himself so that he can be filled with God's blessing and with God's love. I want to see three things this morning. We're going to move quickly through the first two points and camp out on the third. First, grace drives us to reconciliation. Grace humbles us to pray. And then third, grace wounds us and reorients us. But first, grace drives us to seek reconciliation. Now, if you've been with us, you know this, but let me retell the story if you're just joining us. 20 years before today's story, 20 years before the story we just heard, uh, Jacob had lied, cheated, and ultimately stolen the family blessing from his older brother Esau. And Esau was so enraged that he vowed to kill Jacob because he had done this stealing, right? So Jacob, he's smart, he skips town. He moves several hundred miles away, and he goes to live with his, the man who would become his father-in-law, Laban. While he's there for those 20 years, he becomes immensely rich, immensely successful. If you were with us last week, we saw the dysfunction that exists in his family. He fathers 12 children by four different women. But after 20 years of being away from home, and 20 years of being in business with his father-in-law, he is headed home. Now, we have skipped Genesis 31 for time's sake. We're not preaching on Genesis 31. But it is basically the story of how Jacob gets rich, how Jacob gets successful. And basically how he outduels his father-in-law, a man named Laban. And understandably, Jacob's success antagonizes and antagonizes his father-in-law, Laban. And so the warm welcome of 20 years ago has worn off. And so God himself commands Jacob to leave. He basically says, Jacob, go home. And so without telling Laban, Jacob flees. He leaves. Laban actually tracks him down and they seal a necessary peace. That is all Genesis chapter 31. So in the passage before us, Laban is physically and metaphorically behind him. And Esau is in front of him. By his own choosing, Jacob is between a rock and a hard place. He is literally between the two men he has cheated. Laban's behind him. Esau is in front of him. Now, it's hard to explain this without a map. I wish I had a map up here to show you this. But basically, Jacob chooses. He could have gone due south and avoided his brother Esau. But instead, he chooses to go southeast straight towards his brother Esau, okay? And not only that, look with me at verse 3. Jacob sends messengers ahead to his brothers. He's telling his brother he's on his way. He's announcing that he's coming home. He's not avoiding his brother. Jacob has a history of broken relationships and running away when things get hot. But not here. He's turning to face The music. Geographically, he could have gone another way home, but spiritually, he could not. Because, friends, to enter the land of promise, to enter the place of blessing, he must be reconciled to his brother. 
Now, the fireworks are later in this chapter, the wrestling with God, but I don't want to skip over this because this reconciliation is laying the groundwork for the fireworks, for the wrestling that is to come. Friends, grace always leads us to reconciliation. It always leads us to reconciliation. Jesus taught this same principle in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 23, Jesus says, If you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, next week we will see how this reconciliation with Esau turns out. But for now, and to be thinking about for next week, is there someone in your life with whom you need to seek reconciliation? Preview of the end of this sermon. There is great blessing that is about to come upon Jacob. Great and mighty blessing. But that blessing is on the far side of reconciliation. Jacob must first seek reconciliation before he can experience the blessing. Is there someone with whom you need to seek reconciliation so that you can experience the presence, the blessing of God. Grace, friends, always leads us to reconciliation because what grace does is it makes us right with God so that we can pursue reconciliation with our sisters, with our brothers, with our friends. So Jacob's humbling himself. He's seeking out his brother. He sends the messengers. This is the beginning of Jacob's descent into blessing. He is being poured out. The next step in this descent is the second point. Grace humbles us to cry out in prayer. So Jacob sends ahead the messengers, and they come back with distressing news. Verse 6, they basically say, well, I got a little bad news, uh, Jacob. Esau is coming towards you, and he has 400 armed men with him. And I love the understatement of verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. <laughs> uh, now remember, 20 years ago, he had cheated Jacob, Esau out of everything. And Esau had sworn to kill him. And so when he hears 400 men, there's only one way to interpret that fact. He's coming to kill me. He is coming to kill me. But significantly, Jacob does not turn away. He divides his possessions into two, hoping that at least one camp is not attacked and destroyed. And then he does something we have no record of him doing in the scriptures until this point. He prays. It's actually the longest prayer in all of Genesis. It's the first time, and it's the first time that we see Jacob call God by his personal name, his covenantal name. It's a beautiful prayer. I commend it to you, verses 9 to 12. But we don't have, this could be, a, this, chapter 32 could be a whole sermon series. So, but I want to just point out three quick things and, about this prayer for us to think about in our own prayer life. The first is this, Jacob confesses his unworthiness and at the same time reminds himself of how God has been faithful in the past. Confesses his unworthiness and reminds himself of God's past faithfulness. Verse 9, he's basically, oh the Lord, verse 9, excuse me, and Jacob said, oh God of my father. He addresses God. And then he says, verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only a staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. What he's saying is when I fled 20 years ago, when I passed this point 20 years ago, all I had was the clothes on my back and the staff in my hand. And now I'm back 20 years later, and your faithfulness has done this for me. You've given me wives. You've given me 12 children. You've given me massive wealth. God has been faithful. And friends, this is such an important lesson for us. 
and I've done this in my own life, if you are facing something hard, to remind yourself of the ways that God has been faithful in the past. And it helps us to remember, to trust, and to move forward that God has been faithful in the past, and therefore he can and he will be faithful in the future. As I think back on my life and all the pivotal points, God has never let me down. It may not have been what I expected or even wanted, but God has always met me. And Jacob's prayer is here reminding his own heart and God himself of that truth, his own unworthiness and God's past faithfulness. And this is something I talk about a lot, but secondly about this prayer, Jacob is honest about his negative emotions, specifically his fear. Verse 11, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Jacob is scared, and he says so. I mean, how do we deal with our negative emotions, our guilt, our hurt, our anger, and yes, our fear? We name them. We name them and take them to God. And so oftentimes we want to kind of like act like we're not, we don't feel these things. We name them. We, we do feel them. Name them and take them to God. But he doesn't only confess his unworthiness, remind himself of God's faithfulness, and deal with, honestly, his negative emotions. Third, I love this, he wraps his fear. He wraps his fear in the promises of God. Uh, The fear of verse 11 is flanked on both sides by the promises of God. Yes, Jacob acknowledges his feelings, his fears, but he's living by the promises. He's living by God's promise, and he names those promises. So maybe you're fearful this morning. Maybe it's a job interview. Maybe there's a big deal, a big meeting. Maybe, for, uh, students, you're fearful about getting into the right college. What this text would tell us, I wish we could develop this more, is to take the promises of God and wrap them around that fear until your heart is warmed, till your spiritual blood pressure goes down. Take your fears, flank them. And I've, if you're wondering what passage to use, The passage, I will be with you. Jesus calls himself Emmanuel, God with us. Take that reality and wrap it around whatever it is that you fear. That's what Jacob does. He takes God's promises, he flanks them, he wraps them around his negative emotions. So what I want us to see, because we're about to get to the wrestling, is God leads us to places like this, to the end of ourself. He's pouring Jacob out. He's humbling him. So that he reconciles with his brother, driving him to his needs, his knees in prayer. But Jacob is not yet at the end of himself. So God in his grace wounds Jacob and reorients him. After Jacob prays, he gets to work getting to face Esau. He's like a husband who knows he's upset his wife and he brings flowers home. He sends a gift ahead. He's trying to soften the blow with Esau. So he sends these gifts ahead. In this case, it's not just flowers. This is a massive gift. If you count it up, 580 animals. This isn't just flowers, okay? Uh, this is enough to stake a farm, probably several farms. And in verses 13 to 21, we won't read them. He sends drove after drove after drove of present ahead to his brother. And it's important to notice that all these, he sends the gifts ahead of himself, They go before. Jacob comes 
behind. He's like a husband that's goofed so bad that he, sit, he doesn't bring flowers and he calls them ahead and they show up before he does. His thinking is verse 20. He thought, I may appease him, Esau, with the present that goes ahead. And afterward I will see his face. Perhaps then he will accept me. So he's sending these gifts ahead. And then night falls. Jacob is restless. In verse 22, he sends his family across this little brook, the Jabbok. And in verse 24, he is alone by himself in the dark. And you have to imagine he is afraid, he is expecting, even ready to die. He thinks Esau's coming to kill him. And he's by himself, by the stream, at night. Now, every other situation... Jacob had been in, every other tight spot he'd been in, Jacob had been able to outdo other people. He'd be able to stack the deck, ensure a favorable outcome. He had outwitted his brother, he'd pulled one over on his father, and he'd outdueled his father-in-law. But now his back is against the wall. He's in a situation totally beyond his control. He is desperate, out of his depth, out of options, and he is alone in the dark in the wilderness. And then, boom, somebody comes after him and just hits him from the side. He wouldn't have seen it coming. A man barrels into him and begins wrestling. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, friends, we are on holy ground here. I do not understand all this. There's a lot of questions here. But I want us to consider three things. The wounding, the clinging, and the renaming. First, the wounding. Verse 25, when the man saw that he, Jacob, did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, Jacob thinks that the attacker is God. We'll see that in a moment. But that begs the question, why was God not able to, if this is God, why is he not able to prevail against Jacob? Well, it's a little bit like when I, as a 200-plus pound male, wrestle with my seven-year-old son. I regulate the strength based on the strength of the child. And in this case, God allows this to happen. He holds back his strength because he wants to draw Jacob out. And at this point, the mysterious figure dislocates dislocates Jacob's hip. And if you've ever wrestled, you know this, you can't wrestle without your hip. It is the pivot point. It's the pivot point of strength. God is breaking Jacob at his point of strength, wounding him. The rest of Jacob's days, he would walk with a limp. Every step he would take, he would drag that foot and be reminded of God's faithfulness to him. And of this event where God would not let him go. This is a love that will not let him go. Understand, friends, for grace to bless us. It must wound us. It must assault us. And you actually instinctively know this. You instinctively know this because when you are hurting, when you are disappointed, when you're down, who do you want to talk to? Someone who's known that feeling of suffering and of loss and come out of the depths. The grief uh, specialist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says it this way, the most beautiful people we know are those who have known defeat, suffering, struggle, loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, an understanding that fills them with compassion and gentleness. And then this beautiful sentence, 
Beautiful people do not just happen. Beautiful people do not just happen. We see this all over the scriptures. You may not know the Bible. Let me tell you about a couple Bible characters. Job was greatly afflicted before he became great. Jeremiah cursed the day of his birth. The apostle Paul had suicidal thoughts. Hannah was bitter in her soul over her infertility. But each of them became beautiful people, beautiful souls, wounded healers. Friends, there is no blessing without being wounded. And the reason is this, because without being wounded, without a limp, we think we're enough. We think we are enough that we don't need God. So what is your wounding? What is your limp? And have you learned to kiss the blade that has cut you? Have you learned to love your own story? Your story. Love it. Have you learned to thank God for your wounding? Now there's at least two questions on this point of wounding. And this is where I really feel out of my depth. First is this, is what is, your, what, is, what is your strength, what is your competency that you know that God needs to touch? What is the thing in your life that you know that God must touch for you to be blessed? I found some old sermon notes from my old boss, Rankin Wilburn, from 10 years ago. He had this great line in his sermon on this text. It said, All who, everybody wants to be blessed, but no one wants to limp. But here's the deal, friends. To be blessed, you got to limp. You got a limp. But even maybe the deeper question is, how do you handle the wounding you do have? How do you handle the wounding, the limp that you do have? Maybe it's anxiety, depression, loneliness, lack of success. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Students, maybe it's the crushing pressure to perform and be cool. What do you do with your wounding, with your limp? Do you realize that your friends, everyone around you, they don't need your strength. They need your limp. They need your vulnerability. That is your blessing to them. And as you name your limp, it is your blessing of God to yourself. Now this wounding causes Jacob. I love that. This is where Jacob, like I told you that Jacob irks me and he does irk me. But this is where Jacob, I start to really love Jacob. Because Jacob, this wounding, what does he want? He wants more. (laughs) He wants us more. And this brings us not just to the wounding, but to the clinging. Now, the wrestling match is over. He no longer has a hip. All he can do is cling. He's unable to wrestle. He's just holding on. And this mysterious man, this God figure, says, Let me go, for the day has broken. Now, daylight would have revealed the face of God in fullness and killed Jacob. That's why it says, let me go, the day is broken. But even still, Jacob holds on, even with that. I will not let go of you until you bless me. He's willing to risk death for the sake of blessing. Do you want to be blessed by God enough to cling to him? Now, this isn't clearly in the text, but my sanctified imagination tells me that Jacob was tired of being Jacob. He was tired of being Jacob. He was tired of being a deceiver. He was tired of being uh, crooked inside. He was tired of that knot that was within him. And he was willing to do anything to be free of himself. And he wants that blessing. He wants to know that belovedness. And so he clings 
Because he's done with himself and he's tired of being Jacob. Are you tired of you? Are you tired enough of you to cling to God and wait for his blessing, his presence? Cling to God. And this brings us to the blessing itself, which is the renaming. This is such a, this is so powerful. The man says to him, what is your name? And when you say, what is your name? He's saying, what is your character? What is your essence? Tell me your secrets, Jacob. And Jacob says, end of verse 27, my name is Jacob. And you know what Jacob means? Jacob means deceiver. It means cheater. Jacob is admitting who he is. He has encountered God and he has come clean. All these years, he thought he was wrestling with others, with his dad, with his brother, with his father-in-law. But in reality, all those years, Jacob has been running from God. And now he faces God and speaks his own name, who he is. Tells who he's a cheater, he's a deceiver. Are you running? You don't have to. That's why we do the confession of sin the way we do. You're assured of your pardon so you can say who you are. I am Jacob. I am the cheater. I am the liar. And when he does that, when he comes clean, the blessing follows. Verse 28, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. That Israel means he strives with God. Previously, this man had been known by his trickery. But now he will prevail with God. A lifetime with struggling with others and running from God is brought to a climax. He is no longer Jacob. He is Israel. He has totally been reoriented. You see, Israel, to be Israel and not to be Jacob, it's a new way of being human. It's a new way of living. I mean, you think about these like rap stars when they change their name, whether it's Prince or Kanye or Madonna. Why do they, they want to reorient their public figure. But Jacob is here being reoriented from the inside out. He is no longer sneaky. He is the one who prevails with God. He is no longer the cheater. He is the one who strives with God. He has been reoriented. And he realizes the moment. Verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He has a new name, a new orientation. He's no longer cheating Jacob. He is striving with God, Israel. Friends, the grace of God, the grace of God does not come easy into our lives and it does not leave us untouched. It does not leave us the same. It changes us. It reorients us. It challenges us. You will walk with a limp if you walk with God. You will. But friends, make no mistake, it is the path to a changed, beloved, beautiful life. Israel, Jacob, he was changed. But there's one thing I don't want you to miss, and it's worth going to find the Sinclair Ferguson sermon. Just listen to just this part of his sermon. He, has this he says, don't miss verse 31. Don't miss verse 31. He says, I wish Rembrandt would have painted this. He says, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. <laughs> The sun rose and he walked with a limp. Jacob had lived all of his life in darkness. And now though the sun has risen and he's walking with a limp, there is joy in the wounding. 
There is joy in the wounding. The sun rose as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Friends, do you need to get alone with God? Do you need to find your river at Jabbok? Do you need to wrestle? Do you need to ask God about your wound? Ask God about your limp. What is it? But as you do so, I want you to know something that you can know more fully than Jacob knew it. There's something that you can know as you wrestle with God, and that's this. Because amidst these these painful but faithful woundings, this wrestling, remember Jacob's offspring. Remember the true Israel. Remember Jesus. Because Jesus wrestled his whole life long with humankind. And on the cross, he wrestled with God the Father himself. On the cross, Jesus said, if it is possible, before the cross, he said, if it is possible, God, let this cup pass from me, but not your will, but mine be done. And then when he got to the cross, Jesus wrestled fiercely with his Father, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's wrestling with his heavenly Father. But his wrestling does not lead to a dislocated hip. His wrestling led to flogging and beating and the wounding of a crucified death. Bearing the weight of our sin and our shame. And through it all, Jesus clung to his father. He fought for the blessing. He would not let go until he could pass the blessing to us. And because Jesus was fully poured out, the blessing passes to us. He died for us. He clung to God. He clings to us. And he received the gift of life. And he was raised from the dead. And I have to think that verse 31 of Genesis 32 is an echo of the resurrection. He walked with the limp. He still had his wounds. But the sun had risen. The sun had risen. You see, friends, Jesus struggled with mankind. He struggled in fullness with God so that he became the true Israel, the one who could really contend with God. But here's the amazing thing. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says that those who are united by faith to Christ, he calls us the Israel of God. We are the Israel of God because Jesus has struggled for us and united us by faith to himself and to his heavenly Father. And so as you go off to struggle, as you go off to face your lip, just know that your God and the person of Jesus has struggled, has wrestled for you, and has clung to his Father so that he might give the blessing to you and to me. May God add his understanding to his word. Let me pray for us. Our great God, these are, this is holy ground, Genesis 32 is. And I just thank you, Lord, for this mysterious and beautiful text, this wrestling, this love that will not let us go until we know our acceptance and our love. And I pray that for all of us this morning, for Christ's sake. Amen.